0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Beyond Deadlines podcast, where we tackle challenges that planning and schedule leaders come across on a day-to-day basis. My name is Micah Pipo, and I'm a planning manager for Intel.
1: And my name is Greg Lawton. I'm the CEO of an AI schedule management company called Nodes and Links. Each podcast is designed to give you strategies and tactics
0: that you can implement right away. Today's episode, Greg's on the hot seat. Greg, you've been asked to be the VP of planning and scheduling at a top consultancy. Traditionally, the company has provided people, but with constraints on planning and scheduling talent, she wants you to figure out ways to do more with less. The CEO has tasked you specifically with creating a productized strategy for clients. And in an extra twist this episode, if Greg mentions nodes and links, he's going to have to (laughs) donate $1,000 to charity for every time he mentions it. Greg, are you ready to begin?
1: Yes. Okay, let's go. Cool. Okay. Right. So what's in your mind is a productized strategy? To answer that question, we
0: probably need to define what a non-productized strategy is first. A non-productized strategy is a person in a seat. We have a, a construction job. We're building a data center. We need a scheduler to go help with that data center. I hire a consultancy. They bring me scheduler. That scheduler implements the, builds the schedule, implements the progress, creates the reports. Mm -hmm. It's a person, the person leaves, no more service.
1: Beautiful. Okay. So the productized strategy is the opposite of that, Um, which is you're you're specifically bundling together a repeatable and scalable offering that can be productized. Okay. And I can see the constraint is scheduling talent, what is the business model of this consultancy? Are we bums on seats? Are we fixed price? Are, and are we segmented on specific verticals? Or is it kind of a, I just provide you with people and they do whatever you want them to? Let's just go with the, the latter. Bums on seats,
0: they're spread across the construction industry. And traditionally, they focus on, I find people, I get you people.
1: Cool. Okay. And final question. Um, what's the what's the kind of main driver for this? Because if there's, there's constraints on scheduling talent, that means that either we're hemorrhaging people and we can't keep up with the contracts we've got, or we just can't find good people, so our growth is really limited, and this is a growth play. Which this one a, of those two is it? This is a growth play. The okay. job
0: market right now, there's plenty of openings, plenty of opportunity to go land positions, fill people in seats, start earning some fee, and we're missing out because we can't find people.
1: Got it. Okay. Right. So then looking at this, I'm thinking, right. So what I'm hearing is we're just a traditional bums-on-seats consultancy model um, that will basically put our people out to do anything that a client asks. I'll be very political with my language there. And we get paid for that. Now, we're thinking we could grow a lot faster, probably because there's a lot more demand that we can access, but there's not enough supply of good people. And we're saying here, how can we move delivery away from people? The, it, the kind of natural implication of that is, can we start productizing some of the services that we're providing and execute them in a different way? Is that correct? Sounds right. Don't forget the oh. challenge. I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> I won't if your mention palms the name of if our your company palm, that I know very well.
0: <laughs> if your palms weren't sweaty. The best part is I can say nodes and links all I want. You can't. <laughs> I'm okay. going to bait you into this one by the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: not happening. Okay, right. So what? I'm actually going to step back a, a second and actually just critique productized, productized first. Because if the task is generate and allow us to access the rev- the extra revenue that we could generate by executing the operation in different ways. Look, there's four ways that you can scale an operation. You scale it through people, money, um, eyeballs, or software. Those are the four, essentially, scale technologies that humans have. People, obviously, is the bon on just hire more people, and we can do that. Money is is traditionally associated with finance and venture capital. So it's, you know, I, if I can buy 100 million of real estate with a billion, I can buy 10 times more, which means I get 10 times more return. And then the last two is you've got Eyeballs, which is actually about lead generation. So you think here at the fact that The Rock generated whatever he generated in his entire career at the cinema, and then he starts a tequila company, and that tequila company is worth 10 times more than he's ever generated in his entire life within a year because he can attract eyeballs and the fourth then is, is software. So of those, um, we've got options which are we can just find other consultants and kind of subcontract, we can find technology, software technology that can do jobs for us we can look at different classifications of people, so get less skilled people or outsourcing, which is the whole outsourcing movement to the West. Um eyeballs, I don't think, is a thing here because we're already looking at um we've got more demand than than we can supply. Just just to clarify, do I have access to go to other consultancies and to try and essentially just get a finders fee for finding them, work and badge them under our label? Or am I limited here, hence pushing me towards productized.
0: Let's say the CEO came up as a planner and scheduler and she realizes that there's a massive opportunity here to productize. And Got it. the service that this consultancy offers is really good. And she doesn't want to go down the sub consultancy route because it dilutes the brand potentially mm-hmm. because now you're handing over your your identity to somebody else, which puts you at risk. And she really thinks that the biggest opportunity is to figure out a way to offer better service to customers, but at the same time, reduce the hours that are involved,
1: reduce the amount of people that are involved. Beautiful. Okay. So so this is where we need to take a sidestep for a second into a wonderful subject called operations management, which is part of a, an MBA. It, I'll try and make it not boring. Um, people Do you want to bet on that pe- one too? <laughs> <laughs> no. People think that things lie on a spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, you've got completely bespoke services. So when you're going to a private tailor that literally cuts the cloth from your suit, from a line of cloth and, and makes it, all the way to the other end where you're just buying off the peg and it's mass-produced. But there's actually something slightly off on that axis, which is what Nike and the other shoe companies do amazingly well, which is mass-customized. So you can have only a specific number of shoe designs, but the number of colors and the number of, kind of small changes you can make almost makes it that you have infinite shoes that you can play with. I think any experienced scheduler listening to this will know that a vast majority of the monthly activities that we do can be productized. Only, they only require bespokeness because some individuals have preferences for some different tweaks. So, for example, I was having a conversation on Friday around measuring momentum in projects. Well, some people like to use fro burn down, some people like to use SPI. Some people, it doesn't really matter. You're all kind of measuring the same thing. It's, is this project going at the pace that I think it's going at, that kind of thing. Now, productizing is essentially taking the McDonald's method to this, which is, let's imagine there's a certain market size and let's imagine that 80% of that market could be served with 20% of the solutions, And the last 20% requires the 80% because they're super, super bespoke. What what you're telling me here is let's target 80% and develop the absolute world's best product, which is only the 20%, which is essentially the, well, you could take it as the McDonald's, but it's also the Michelin star. If you go to a Michelin star restaurant, there is a menu. That's all you're getting. They're not changing the menu for you. You're getting the 11 courses that they've designed. Why? Because they can increase the quality and the precision by which they create and replicate that menu compared to completely random. Okay, so we've got- well, I
0: think, and I just had a thought here, I'm gonna cut you off midstream, but this strategy also works really well if you are an individual planner, or scheduler on a job site as well. If you go sit down with a project manager or a project director and say, what do you want? You're going to open yourself up to bespokeness to give me "Oh, at this job. I had this, that, and this, and the other. A really great strategy when you go to sit down to someone is to craft that menu of items that you know is super operationally efficient, where you can create Mm -hmm. those reports already and you can turn them out and then try and limit the changes and tweaks that the project manager or directors are going to have. And then the final piece of that is to then batch all of those together to understand so that way you don't create like 10 different reports. Maybe you just create one and there's only one, two little flares that you have to pop in there this just came to my mind, I think it'd be helpful for schedulers to, to take out of this, you know, in that sort of, I'm going to operationalize and smooth out what I'm doing. Sorry, continue.
1: So um, now let's think about the range of services that I, I'm going to assume that because you said, we provide any service, I've got an entire range to select from. So based on that, let's think about this. Creating schedule policy. Definitely scalable, and definitely productizable.
0: Schedule policy. You're talking contracts, specifications, processes, or what? Yeah. what is, what's Pro- policy?
1: processes. Processes for how schedule management is going to be executed. Your 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 um, SMP schedule management plan. Yeah, these okay. kinds of things, like you know, the formal process documentation. Creating a schedule from a series of um. Contractual requirements and um, build strategies holistically, very bespoke. That's why we pay, why that's why some people get paid the big bucks and others don't. In a large sense, it's that creation element. Writing bidding documentation. There's a repeatability to it, but there's specialist bidding firms that go cut across. It's not just schedule management. Then we get into um, the monthly cycle reports 99.9% automatable to the fact that there's an entire billion dollar industry of consultants who have tried to do it with Power BI. And I think everyone here can smile with how successful that's been, but reports. Reports also lead into change management because you'll have change management policy and change management reports. So schedule change impact. Then you'll have your um, your commissioning and handover, et cetera. Not really applicable in, in schedule land, but again that's more building schedule, et cetera. And then you'll have your closeout documentation. What we're wanting here is to develop a proposition that forms repeatable business where over-serving clients leads them to spend greater money with our consultancy in the future. What we're seeing there is policy, which is generally a one-off, closeouts, which are generally a one-off, and ongoing uh, reports, be it the, the cycle or change, which need to be done all the time. So what I'd look to do is I'd look to productize reports. You forgot one in there. You forgot uh, schedule progressing. Oh, sorry. That, that's, that's the monthly cycle. That's the monthly cycle to me. Gotcha. Oh, uh, no, wait a minute. Are you talking about updating schedules? Yeah. No, I did yeah. totally forget one. I did. Yeah, you, there is an updating schedule. That can be productized, though it's more difficult than a report, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a whole, whole other episode. Yeah, we'll have to do another episode <laughs> on that because that depends on, well, has someone written down what 50% of this activity is and how are we are going to measure it and that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, so I'd be looking to do something with reports. Now, we live in the age of GPT. So there are opportunities- what's, what's that? Oh, um, GPT is a technology, um, which is a subset of- Hold on your leg. If you don't know what ChatGPT GPT is uh, at this point, like, go oh on to God. Google. Go to Google, we're not going to explain it for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's large language models. AI that can do human stuff. All right, move along, move along. Cool. Um, now, well, if we're trying to, if we're trying to automate elements of reports, then we have to find, we have to essentially, we have to find reports that we can sell for X and create for X divided by 10. So 10 times less. That either means we need simple reports that we can just get cheap labor somewhere else in the world to do. then we're a very high-end consultancy and actually explaining different concepts might be difficult. Or you use technology, which is of the four scale frameworks. That's why you use software. It's a scale technology. We live in the age of AI and GPT. Um, Question, can I use my customer's data with open GPT models? It's a mixed bag. You're going
0: to, in any in the real world, you're going to have some customers who are privately held. Yeah, sure, go ahead. And then you're going to have others that are associated with the government or companies that don't want their data there. So let's say it's a mixed bag.
1: Cool. Then I'm going to make a big assumption here that either we can just target customers who don't care about sharing their information publicly for other, that other people can use GPTs to search, or we've got the resources and money to spend a couple of million developing our own private large language models and tailoring for the job I've, we've got to do. I'm just going to snap my finger and say, we have that tech. Boom, done. There, <laughs> there we go. Um, and then essentially, we're, we're left with, with the end result, which is there'll, there'll be a series of reports that are standardized. And I would assume there'll be basic reports like, update reports or schedule health. And there'll be much more advanced reports like predictability analysis and acceleration analysis and delay analysis. And the perfect place to get to would be just be where they're literally a menu item and with a fixed cost. And it's about just pumping through volume whilst maintaining a super high level of output. And the balance for this would be is that these reports would have to be at least half as expensive as the everything else in the market and twice as good. So it's it's kind of like, why would anybody go to another consultancy to get any of these? Because you're going to be yeah. waiting four times as long. They're going to cost twice as much and they're just not going to be as good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. To me, I kind of want to circle back to the creation, though. I think the, mm-hmm. the reporting one makes sense. If you had to create a productized schedule creation, in my mind, you could, because you could offer a team, that's all they did. And it -hmm. would be one of those not fully automated, but with human, you know, it's like the Tesla factory example. I, I remember watching some video where they tried to fully automate the factory and they found this one thing that people could simply just do better is like grabbing this hose and connecting it and they just couldn't get a robot to do it and a person just grabbed it and stuck it in like why did we create we don't need to spend a gazillion dollars to automate that a human can do it
1: mm-hmm.
0: to me productizing creation falls in that bucket i think you could probably create a very high-end service for it with a team that that's all they did plus they're uh, using automation and technology to help them out along when i look at them the market and talk to people, people feel that sometimes you create a schedule, you need to own it all the way through. But I don't know if that's true. Maybe you just need a team that that's all they do is create these schedules and pass them on to teams.
1: I really, I really, really like that idea. Like the challenge was to create a consultancy here. So we just honed in on a a singular thing, but kind of zooming right out in a free market economy, the market will decide what it wants. Now, either productized services have been offered to the market and the market didn't want them, or they've been offered and they just weren't executed well, or they've just simply never been offered. And I don't know what the answer of that is, but in my mind, it makes perfect sense that you could actually make a very, very successful niche consultant Outfit specializing in each of the individual elements. Like we already see this now. Like companies like HKA um only specialize in things like delay claim analysis. Yeah. And do you know what? They don't bid. If you go to them, hey, I'd love for you to bid for some work. No, I'm not bidding. No. But like if you if you need us, you'll know you'll need us and you'll call us because you know that we're the best at what we do. End. End yeah. of um and I feel that, you know, could the world get to that point with, for example, data center scheduling. Could you imagine five schedulers across the world who are all they did was schedule data center builds? Yeah. And I reckon they'd be, you know, just the lesson the learning lessons, you'd end up getting to a, a pinnacle. Now obviously the question there is. Is, is the work voluminous enough? And um, is the pay good enough, et cetera? All of these kinds of questions. But I actually think at, at uh, almost all points along the schedule management process, you could actually productize a huge amount of them. Think about it as well. Even, even the, the really high-end services like risk management, where you're running Monte Carlo simulations, they are productized. You you will go to a consultant and hire a a specialist risk consultant like Charlotte, who we had on a couple of episodes ago. You will fly her in to specifically run all of the workshops and find out all the information. So to some extent, that is almost productized. One thing we didn't touch on is simply
0: just the contract in which you sign companies up to. That, to me, is where the productization really starts to Mm -hmm. shift. If you're in a model where you're signing contracts and you're bringing on people and it's staff aug that isn't going to ever be a product and then that carries a mentality with it where you bring someone in and then you pay to train them they're there and you have to coach them and educate them and it's not a product and so i think if you're looking to transition to that model you have to start with as an owner you have to start with i want products this is the contract i'm going to sign up for projects products. This is the culture I'm going to establish for products. I'm only going to accept products. If you bring in people and services and they have to be ingrained into my system, it's never going to work.
1: I think if you take this argument to the most extreme, like imagine a client organization that just says, I'm not interested in services, as in bumps on, I'm only interested in products. I want to buy a schedule management policy. And I want to buy a commercial management and a um a project management policy, and I want to someone to build me the best schedule, et cetera. Now, you would have to have people in that organization who know what good looks like. But arguably, I, I just think that that's a very interesting position to be in because you can do essentially what Apple do. So, for example, Apple, everyone thinks that they outsource all of their um parts and manufacturing to Foxconn. They don't. Foxconn's the biggest one. They actually have hundreds of suppliers and Apple's strategy is to have the most complex supply chain possible. They don't want a simple supply chain. They want complexity because they want optionality. So they will actually say to people, oh, we need to up chip production by 10%, fair game, Rule: No one can have more than two percent. I, I want as many people as possible because do you know what? If someone messes up, it's kind of it doesn't make that bigger impact to my launch. And you know, this is for an organization that has to hold a launch date. App, like, have you ever seen an iPhone launch late? No, I can't. Can't now. Never. Exactly. So it's almost like just taking the extreme example, and I've got really very little evidence to back this comment up. But it's almost like the simpler the supply chain, the, the, the more high-end risk you're taking because the less competition you have after the initial competition period, it makes sense that projects would go later or balloon out. Whereas if you look at something like, I know it's a different thing, but like Apple or Samsung, you've never seen a product launch late with them and and their strategy is as big a complexity as possible and productized.
0: Yeah, there's probably a lot going on in between, but that thought you brought up of simple supply chain versus complex supply chain, as an owner, if you have a simple supply chain, you shove more stuff down on the supply chain and you create less. And to me it's if you're hire if you're just hiring someone for a role. If I'm hiring 100 schedulers versus one scheduler, one scheduler be like, oh, you can just come sit next to me. He'll see what I do. We'll go mm-hmm. about our merry lives and he'll just copy what I do. If you're hiring 100 schedulers, you can't do that. Now you're starting to look at how do I operationalize things? How do I turn things into what we're calling products? Because I need to now do that across 100 different people. And to me, that's where simple versus complex supply chain, what you, how you look at it and what you want to set up, people gravitate towards something that's simple. Can I just bring in a top consultant and they provide me people and seats, but that's actually going to take more of your time and probably provide less value to you than if you do more work, you, know, you basically push 90% of the work onto the consultant and then you're doing 10% of the work if you're doing butts and seats. Mm-hmm. bottoms, bums, bums as they say, bums and seats. Now on the flip side, if you do a productize, yes, up front you're going to do 90% of that work yourself, building the products as an owner to kind of say, this is what I want, I'm going to price you out for this. But then over the long term, you know, they do 10% of the work, but then that work grows up and up and up and up in value. So you make that initial investment to set up the products and then you get to sit back and enjoy the fruits of your labor. And I think that it increases competition. Because you can take that product and go to anyone and say, listen, this is my schedule report. How much can you do it for? What other value do you bring to the table?
1: See, that that is very, very interesting to me. And and you know, you know, I I would imagine there's a lot of people listening to this will say, yes, but insert lots of reasons why things can't be productized. And you know what? That is exactly why venture capital wants to come into this space. Because the question they ask themselves is what would I need to believe for the world to be fundamentally different? If the core tasks that you do can be productized, then they can be scaled, then you get massive scale effects and advantages, and which means that you, you can start to consolid- you can start to consolidate. So if you think about, you know, Internet search, 80, 90 percent of all Western Internet search goes through Google. And there's this tiny sliver that goes to the, the high end companies. And do you know what? If you want bespokeness, cool. But you buy it after you've bought Google. You buy yeah. all of Google's services first and then you tweak it at the end. You don't like. And, uh, another example is how many people today build a car from scratch? You don't. You go and buy a car and then you modify it. That's funny. I was like, my dad does. <laughs> <laughs> I there are there's one person but it is but that is, is, but that is yeah. a passion project not yeah. a scale so do you know what someone yeah. can build that car from scratch it'll cost them quarter of a million or something like that yeah but a hundred billion of revenue per year is done by people doing scale uh,
0: so it's this yeah. kind
1: of shift and I would I would actually say it, it's just on my mind I think With technology that fundamentally automates human thought to an extent, we're now at an age where we can really ask ourselves the questions, not should we productize, but it's almost what do we do if, or sorry, when the world productizes. Yeah, Because it'll be like, well, which bit, you've only got two questions to ask. One, which bit will I productize, which is your part, as in I will create schedules for data centers. I will do claims analysis because my name's HK or Hill. How will I take what's productized and tweak it on that so it's it is mass customization? So I add a couple more slides, or I add some different KPIs, or I I do something different that justifies the additional expense I'm going to put on that product. So, for example, if if you can do an entire Schedule progress update report for 900 bucks, like for a billion dollar project. You coming in and tweaking that report it's going to cost more than 900. So you're going to more than double the price for some tweaks. And let's be honest, it's going to be like 10 or 20 grand per month to do some proper tweaks. So you're talking 10 to 20 times the cost of the original base thing. Better be some good tweaks. Uh, Well, you
0: know. Bill loves to see it in light green instead of instead of dark green. So you better get Bill his light green. All yep. right, Greg. We could probably go on for hours on this on this topic, but we are at time. Any final thoughts? Number one, I haven't said the the <laughs> words the entire episode <laughs> that the audience
1: knows about. We cut probably about ten times where he said notes and links. So what I what I probably say is we we joked around with productized services. Um, it's here, it's here, and all of the repetitive tasks that that we've spent the last 2-3 decades personally doing within the next year maybe 2 years will all become productized services by tech companies and what i'd say is either you're going to you're probably going to get approached by these tech companies who can offer it at a fifth of the cost of what you're paying now or you're going to have to react and figure out where you're going to fit in this world because, you know, someone will need some bespokeness. Yeah. But one thing that's guaranteed is the world ain't the same anymore. And no. I'm sorry to tell people that, it, that that's the case and it's changed. The one thing I would add
0: before we take off is if you're just a planner or scheduler coming up in your career, start thinking about how you do planning and scheduling in terms of workflows and these productizations because that's how you're going to elevate your career and be able to more easily transition with these new technologies. You're not thinking about all the 48 different button clicks you need to do in P6 and how you get it into Power BI. You're thinking, this is a task. How do I go from A to B as fast as possible and as efficient as possible? And that sort of framework is really going to help you out later in life. All right, folks, no. we are, oh, mm-hmm. fun this is going to cost you.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, well, of course, if people would like some generative AI, they can Google <laughs> the name of a company that I uh, I cannot possibly say.
0: I'll say it for you. Nodes and links, folks. Give it a shot. It's, I think, it, was it free to try? Yeah, it's totally free. Free to try. It's the best product out on the market right now to start jumping into some of this generative AI productization and schedule review. With that, though, we are done. Another thing you can check out is we have a LinkedIn newsletter. We have an email newsletter, and we've also launched a YouTube channel. Head on out there if you're looking for you know tips and tricks to advance your career, tips and tricks in scheduling, anything in between. Great resources, all for free. We put all of our content out there for free because we believe the world needs more planners and schedulers. All right folks, until next week, this is Greg and Michael from Beyond Deadlines. Hope you enjoyed the show.